0: This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heartland Daily Podcast. This is Anne Marie Schieber from Healthcare News. You know, everyone complains about medical bills, but one of the cost drivers is actually a policy by Medicare that pays hospitals more money than anyone else for particular service. It's a huge incentive for hospitals to gobble up independent healthcare practices, which of course reduces competition, which drives up costs for everyone. I am happy to have on the podcast today a physician who sees this firsthand and recently wrote about it in Newsweek. He is the founder and CEO of the Prairie Spine and Pain Institute in Illinois. Dr. Richard Kubé, welcome. And I said your your last name correct, right? K-U-B-E. Yes. Great. Correct, what, Well, Well, uh, Dr. Kubé, you are an independent practice. Has any hospital offered to buy you out?
1: No, I haven't had an offer such as that, but uh, I think they uh, are all fully aware of what my answer would be. So I'm fiercely independent and plan to be and would probably give the place the John Gall treatment on the way out before I turn it over to the uh, hospital syndicate, if you will.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of patients agree the best uh, healthcare experience they have is when they're dealing with a doctor without a 100 strings attached and without the bureaucracy So hats off to you. Why does Medicare pay hospitals more money to perform the same service you might?
1: Well, I think probably it's a result of the way the hospitals negotiate for rates. Everybody kind of negotiates for rates. And I would certainly never suggest that the hospital lobby just kind of gets what they want. But, uh, you know, that aside, I would say... They, hospitals obviously are very big. There's a lot of infrastructure there, and they make the argument that, well, they have all these services and et cetera that they must keep floating, and therefore they need to be paid more because there's all these additional services. And, well, for certain types of ailments, certain types of entities or, or disease processes, they may be more expensive, but there are also other ways that they are able to charge and collect money for those extra things. Uh, there really is no reasonable argument in my mind for why an office visit would cost more in a hospital setting than, say, in my private setting. And, in fact, if the hospital did buy me, as we were talking about the previous question, and slapped their sign on the front of my building, immediately, the, the not just the charge, but the actual reimbursement for an office visit would go up probably 60, 65% just for the sign on the door. And that's kind of ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Can you give us some examples of these cost differences? Uh, I imagine you do quite a bit of imaging in your practice and um, maybe certain treatments. Are there cost differentials that you've noticed there?
1: I think a lot of the cost differential comes, you know, the private sector, when you're working in a free market, Those things can be quite different. And so imaging is a a good example. If I want to pay cash, let's say, for an MRI or a scan of that nature in Peoria, I I don't have an independent option. It must be one of the two major hospital systems. And I'm going to pay a couple thousand dollars for that. And a lot of times insurance companies may or may not approve different MRIs. They may retroactively revoke an approval, and then you're stuck with a bill. And so it's about two thousand bucks. I, I know I can go to Bloomington, go to a location there, and get and for six hundred dollars get the exact same MRI. And that happens all the time. I know, like you know, we, it's hard for us to get our hands on EOB statements in my office a lot of times, but we've had that opportunity. We do provide cash service and bundled service, as an example. And on a, the average spine surgery that we perform we save the self-funded, self-insured employers about $80,000 per surgery on average. And if you start looking at just simple groups, say something that's instrumented like a fusion or a disc replacement, now you're well into six figures. And so I know we had, there's a gentleman who's an example, he's a professor at a university. Uh, so I mean, it's good insurance plan, but if they would, he would have stayed locally, he'd have paid the hospital system about 150 some odd thousand dollars I think he said, and I believe his bill with us is about 25000 bucks, give or take. And so there's just an enormous amount of fluff, and that's not so, so much the site of service differential, but it's just the amount of added costs that goes into keeping these, in giant, these giant administrative superstructures in place, uh, billing efforts, and the, the amount of time you have to fight on the back end to actually get paid by these insurance carriers and, and whatnot. And so there's there's just numerous ways of excess spending, uh, these sort of side, you know, uh, monies that are passed between brokers and insurance companies and payers and et cetera. Uh, there's just a lot of fluff built in.
0: So to right, there, there's enormous cost shifting and consumers get screwed from it. And, you know, I personally had a a situation involving an orthopedic issue, actually, and I couldn't find my doctor retired. So I had to go to a hospital-owned practice to get, um, it was a cortisone shot. And they sent me a bill for (laughs) $1,900. And my direct primary care doctor ended up giving me the shot later on and charged me $20. I mean, it's just incredible. Uh, the prices. And, you know, I knew I was in trouble when I pulled up and they wanted to valet park my car. And I thought, gee, this is so unnecessary. And I know they're going to send me this in the bill. And I just, you know, it's really too bad. And and I'll tell you another example where the hospitals have the advantage, property taxes. So in my community, the hospital owns a huge chunk of real estate where they operate practices. People go and get care. If you're an independent person, you're paying property taxes, but they're nonprofits and they don't have to do that. So that's another advantage that they have. Um, so there are just so many examples where the big guys are rewarded and the little guys are squeezed out, and consumers end up um, being the victims here. Um, can you speak to well, how? I, go ahead. I was gonna. I was gonna add. The other thing is the economy
1: of scale, too. Correct. Yeah. So, when the hospitals argue they have all these things to keep afloat, well, a I you know, I mean, some, some will say, well, we're not not-for-profit, we're for-profit. But so is Walmart, right? And so, <laughs> if I want to go and buy Coke, you know, or Pepsi or whatever your cola of choice is, and say, you yeah, know, I'm going to go buy four cases of Coke and stock up at home, where are you going to pay more for that Coke? At the Shell station up the street or at Sam's Club or Walmart? Okay, now... I mean, everybody knows that if I'm going to go buy bulk or if I want to buy product, I'm going to be able to get a better price at a Walmart or, you know, the big box stores are going to have that ability because they they have the advantage of economy of skill. The hospitals also should have that same opportunity. It's the only industry where when you go to the mass producer, you actually pay more. Yeah. I mean, buy a pack of gum or a stick of gum, what costs more? Well, the stick of gum usually is going to cost more than the pack of gum or the case of gum when you're pay- looking at per stick price. But unlike those normal economic forces at the hospital, you're paying much, much more per stick if you buy a pallet of gum than if you bought a single stick from somebody down the
0: street. And it's yeah, tough. sure, sure. Can, can you speak to how this has increased hospital consolidation and 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 I get, and maybe explain when there are fewer owners how this drives up costs overall.
1: Sure, I, I think as far as the cost, it just becomes a reason monopolies don't lower costs; they increase costs. And so, with these disparities, so unlike, say, you know, I'm doing surgery, and there are a lot of these big ticket items, and you could argue different levels of service and care. For different things of that nature, but a hospital visit—that's just evaluation and management. You're in an exam room, uh, and so for primary care, it's a big thing because when you consider what your overhead is as a primary care doctor, and a hospital can come in and basically, you know, pay you eighty percent of your gross earnings, and still only and still be working at a at a fifty percent margin. Okay, and, you know, which honestly is spending as much money it, it, if you are having an 80% margin in your practice. It, it, there's just so much extra money that they have there that they could, these primary care offices that are getting strangled because of all the enormous red tape, all the extra administrative stuff that Obamacare has kind of thrown into mm-hmm. the mix as well, that it, they, it's hard for them to compete. And while they can't compete when somebody down the road gets paid by law, more or less, I mean rule, it's more or less the same thing, when it's CMS or Medicare, they're able, to, they're able to generate 60% more money on that. So the hospital can afford to make it extremely attractive for a primary care doctor to get off the hamster wheel, stop the struggle of private practice, and sell to the hospital. And so as soon as the hospital acquires that primary care doctor, They've done several things. One, they know that about for every dollar of primary care, there's $13 they will generate downstream from that primary care doctor. Oh, yeah. They also now know they control the referral base. And so I've seen it happen. I've been at the working end of that before where referral bases were threatened. Uh, You do this or we're not going to send you patients anymore. And so very early in my career, I knew I had to control my own referral days. That's why I've been able to stay independent. But for the average person who hasn't, you know, worked on that for the last 10 to 15 years, they're pretty much stuck. And so now the, the, the orthopedic groups, such as you're describing, now they're working for the hospital too because if they can't get patients in the door, they're kind of stuck as well. And so... You continue to have this consolidation, and when you do, um, the price is definitely going to go up, and quite honestly, the value is going to go down, because they no longer have to worry about the competition. You're a captivated audience, and so, I mean, think about, it. you have to, if something's going on with your landline, and you're on the, you know, and this is years ago, because everybody, I guess, has cell phones now, but how long do you sit on the phone with AT&T or pick your other favorite vendor? You're on hold for an hour sometimes. They know they've got you. You're the, if you want a phone, you have to talk to them yeah. and you're stuck. And this is the same thing that is occurring in medicine. Yeah. When when I can remember years ago when we had an independent imaging center in Peoria, I could get the same week sometimes same-day MRIs all the time. It's a month now.
0: Wow, it's wow. It's a month now
1: after they were bought by the hospital. And now I actually send all my patients, uh, you know, 40 miles over to Bloomington because they have an independent place and I can still get an MRI turned around within usually a few days. There. I've had my own orthopedic work done, so, so a couple of my kids, and you're able to get access to imaging in a timely manner. So that access really becomes an issue, and again, uh, if you have a captive audience, you're not having to spend time and money marketing, so new patient acquisition tends to be more expensive than repeat patient acquisition, but if you're the only option, you don't have to spend any money on new patient acquisition either. They just come there, yeah. and so uh, they scale down the services.
0: And so patients, can, yeah. yeah, patients see this firsthand with weights. The costs are a little different because they're sheltered from the cost. They usually have third-party payers. And so maybe they don't see the huge cost differential uh, in the charges. But you can see, again, where they end up controlling the market. And um, you don't even have to be in Medicare to see how this consolidation can really hurt consumers. Um, what, what has been Congress's history on what we call site neutral payments? So we didn't really talk about that term, but I know that the Trump administration had worked quite a bit on this and I don't know what the Biden administration's record has been. My guess is that walking it back. Um, but what do you think, can you explain what that means and how that could have a positive impact on the market?
1: Well, I think When we have price controls, which is more or less what CMS is, I'm not really aware of any economy in recorded history where price controls work for the long term uh, because there's always going to be some type of conflict of interest thrown in the middle of those making those decisions. And so I think at a minimum, you know, the more things that Congress can do to free the market and put the power in the consumers' hands and, for one, just start helping people to realize that they can and should act as consumers for their health care, much like we do for anything else. I mean, if I ship my kid by themselves into the the soccer store with a credit card, that bill is going to look a heck of a lot different than if my wife or I are with them in that store. You know, there's no accountability on the patient's part for the cause. Uh, they're not concerned with it. And, and likewise, you know, simple things like, well, you know, there, shouldn't, there shouldn't be some magical rate because you have a certain sign on your door or you have a certain geographic footprint. That should not exist. And those are easy, quick things that everybody in Congress on both sides of the aisle should be able to get behind if they are serious at all to their voters about whether they're trying to do something with health care costs. But past that, again, there are other sort of disparities health savings accounts. Why can't we allow those the same kind of tax benefits if you're using them for say direct primary care. Otherwise, right now we're invested in sick care rather than health care about we, we only spend about 5% of our health care dollars on primary care. Europe spends 13%. And so if you keep people healthier and you're dealing with disease prevention, we have out-of-control diabetes everywhere. Frankly, we have an overweight population too. The overweight issue that we have in the United States would be tolerated nowhere else in Europe. Yeah. Urgent care, ER visits, those go down substantially with a direct primary care model as well. And those visits... I mean, you want to talk about a real side of service disparity? Go ahead and go ahead and have a simple visit in the ER. Now you're talking, <laughs> you know. Not, hundreds it, instead and hundreds. Instead of the hundred dollar visit in my office to one hundred and eighty at the hospital primary care office, now you're a thousand dollars.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, and so it's just uh, it, it's a lot of absolutely wasted money because the incentives are backwards in many yeah. of these cases.
0: Well, it is crazy and you're really you're really incentivized to get sick uh because that's how you get your money out of your health insurance rather than to spend it on um you know things that can keep you from illness and you know we've got a couple of really good bills in Congress they probably won't get out of this session. But, you know, we've got the Healthcare fairness for all by Representative Pete Sessions and then Representative Chip Roy and Senator Ted Cruz have reintroduced legislation that will open the door on HSAs and allowing them to be spent on direct primary care and giving people more options so they can decide what is best for their health care, how they can stay out of the hospital and stay well. Um, how powerful, um, you know, we know that, uh, one party keeps pushing government healthcare, but again, you know, Republicans too are susceptible to this. How powerful is the hospital lobby? And, um, you know, I, I imagine that they would fight site neutral payment, uh, site neutral payment policies to the Dickens. Um, can you speak to that?
1: Uh, they are quite powerful and, just having worked in, a, in an arena, the, uh, they are not the benevolent, omnibenevolent organizations that they might lead folks to believe. They are at the end of the day businesses, and uh, a lot of them can act pretty ruthlessly. I, you know, And so I, I would expect them to act as such if they see that type of scenario happening because, of course, their model is based on a monopoly, more or less, it, it, and the site-of-service differential can kind of start unraveling the whole thing because uh, would that go through, it immediately cuts 60% or, well, no, more accurately, 30% uh, or, or rather 40% of the entire amount. I guess it just depends probably where you are and what the difference is, but probably on average it would take 40% of their... Collections on primary care office visits, and immediately cut them off.
0: Wow! And so
1: now all of a sudden their margin would shift and change drastically, and so they would no longer have that built-in subsidy that allows them to go out and poach all of the private businesses.
0: Yeah.
1: And and accumulate and acquire that, and that's and that's more or less what it is. It essentially acts as a subsidy for the hospital system to be able to uh, give them a competitive advantage to go out and hire hire all the help away. But if you eliminate that subsidy, and now they have to play on an even playing field with somebody like me or the direct primary care doctor, that changes that. And then, and then of course, if the subsidy no longer exists, and they can't hold on to all these primary care doctors because of the financial dynamics, then... You might start seeing more independent physicians, more direct primary physicians popping up. And those folks aren't mandated to send their patients to location X or Y or Z. I mean, I had to, I, I had to have an MRI for something last fall. I had to argue
0: <laughs>
1: with multiple different people to be allowed to, send, to have my MRI done somewhere else other than the hospital. And they ultimately are like, well, you know, you can get it done there, but if we don't like the quality, we're going to make you repeat it here so we can read it and get what we need anyway.
0: And I think, you
1: know, they're, (laughs) they're to the point of threat. And and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a subspecialist. I read hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of MRIs a year. So, I I mean, I kind of know what I'm doing in the industry. And even for somebody like me who knows the kinds of questions to ask and how and, and going through that process, I flat out caught several people in lies. I mean, they are threatening and coercing people to have their images done where they want them to be
0: done. Yeah. And yeah. it's
1: and it's, and it's it's really inappropriate. And so when they're willing to do those kinds of things, I would expect them to throw as much weight and lobby dollars as they can and as they have available to push that way. And frankly, the insurance industry would be probably aligned with that as well because, Post-Obamacare, you know, the insurance industry has a set margin, more or less, of what their profitability can and can't be. And so if you're if you're capped, say, 15%, and I, I ran a million bucks through my business last year, okay, I profited $150,000. How does that number go up next year? The only way that number can go up next year is if I somehow process more than a million dollars. And so I could do it with market share, but you're just going to be trading 1% and 2% here or there with market share. The only way for me to make a meaningful difference in the actual uh, value, you know, flat value of that number, not a relative value, but the actual value of that profit number, is I've got to make it more expensive. I've got to hire more administrative or do something to create more overhead. Uh, I've got to make the health care itself more expensive that we're paying for, I've got to drive up the cost so that next year I've got $1.5 million sitting there. And so now my profit went up to $225,000 this year from the 150. dollars So again, you again have the incentives backwards that are, are rewarding costs to go up rather than down. And a lot of that is because the prices are set from the top down instead of the bottom up. If you go to the average hospital and ask them, well, how do you come up with that price? There's nobody who can tell you how they come up with
0: that price. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. Yeah. They
1: can't tell you. Because if it's top down, they just pick a number versus bottom up. I mean, in in the rest of the world, you have a bottom up type of system. It doesn't matter. You've got a lemonade. I mean, there's no reason medicine, because we do it when we do our bundled payment uh, models. We, We calculate that just like you would open up a lemonade stand, right? You need some lemons, you need some pitchers, some ice, some water, maybe some sweetener. You need to build a little stand, find a couple of cute little kids to sit there, and and now you have your lemonade stand. Figure out, okay, well, what's it cost? What, what do the kids want to make? What do I need to have my margin? And now you set your price. But it's based on figuring out what's my overhead. And, you know, if I If I'm wanting a certain margin, then I'm trying – and now in that system – I'm trying to continuously drive my overhead down so that I could compete and provide a better price for a consumer without me taking the hit myself. And so now you're aligning more people to drive the cost down in that model. And so, again, anything, the two bills that you talked about, I kind of hope that the, I, I, I hear more and more good momentum about the fairness uh, Bill from Sessions, I'm hoping at least that would go through. I'd certainly like to see the one from Chip, go, Roy, go through as well and Cruz. You know, Texas has way more DPC than a lot of other locations do. So that's going to resonate a lot more in some states than others. Uh, but uh, hopefully, I mean, those are definitely things that Congress can do that would be very positive steps forward.
0: Yeah, well, these are all really good thoughts. You've given us a lot of uh, insight into how all the economics that go into setting prices in hospitals and with private practices and all the games that are going on that, uh, and I don't think we still have an explanation how anyone sets prices, but we all know that something is, is desperately, de- definitely wrong and it needs to be addressed. So I really do appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, we've run out of time, but um, real quickly, before I let you go, um, I had a guest on last week, Dr. John Goodman, and we were just talking about how frustrating it is that uh, the candidates, the politicians, we've got a big election coming up, and none of them talk about health care. Not even the Republicans, no, the Democrats, everyone complains it's it's one of the top issues on people's minds, but it never comes up when it comes to deciding votes, and um, w- what words might you have for the public as to what they can do and, and, and what they should do um, to maybe even just start turning this thing around?
1: Well, I think, I think the pain points have to start being felt uh, more consistently across the board. I, I think, like a lot of things, people need to do less complaining and more doing and i think healthcare unfortunately is this giant black box for a lot of people and you get a lot of conflicting views opinions and otherwise on how to fix this or how to fix that you know and at the end of the day it's hard to know who's getting paid what how they're getting paid and 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 so Without a lot of that knowledge, nobody really knows often what questions to even ask. And then you start dealing with credibility issues of, well, you know, he's just a surgeon. He's just trying to make more money doing surgery and et cetera. And it's like, well, I mean, I'm not going to tell you that I'm the only guy in the world who doesn't want to make more money. I think everybody does. But the reality is, 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 do you have a system that is working, and again, in a free market, you know, the way for me to make more money is to provide more value to more people and then a willing buyer will come find me as a willing seller and we together mutually agree upon a price to be able to obtain that exchange of goods and that's how the markets work. And I think if people would engage on that level and really start asking those questions, but I think right now you have a a really negative super stew of hospital lobby, insurance lobby, lack of awareness. Uh, I think there's been enough people talking that I do believe there are increasing numbers of Congress knowing about it. And I think people like you having these podcasts, talking to people, educating people is probably the best way to get that to turn around because Anytime I tell people about something as simple as site of service differential, I was having a conversation with my father in law about it last night, people have no idea. They just no, have they no don't. idea about yeah. some of these simple things. Or the fact that a lot of times your broker is getting a cut of whatever is is saved off of a plan per year. Uh and same thing maybe with the, with the carrier. And so there again, there's no incentive. It's like, well, your rate went up twenty percent this year. I was able to talk it down ten. You know, and everybody's high fiving the guy on that. <laughs> meanwhile, it's like well, why do you have to go up at all? I'm not getting any more service. Yeah. But meanwhile, the broker may be pocketing ten yeah, you know, right. half of that savings.
0: Yeah, that's a whole nother topic. But again, it, it oh. all comes back to the third party payer. That people are isolated from the costs and the true market forces right. uh, and and it's it's just a mess so dr Kuby, we've run out of time i thank you so much again for coming on the podcast i think this is going to be thank very for informative for a Appreciate. lot of people uh dr Kuby is the ceo and founder of prairie spine and pain institute in illinois and i will include a link to his newsweek op-ed calling for site neutrality payments in Medicare. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like this discussion, please give us a thumbs up, pass on the link, or become a regular subscriber to the Heartland Daily Podcast because it does help get the free market message out. Thank you for tuning in. This is Anne-Marie Schieber.